Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing Archon, the light and the dark. Do you know what the original inspiration for the game Archon was? Stay tuned to this episode to find out the answer to this riveting trivia question. Before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy Headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. I am a few days late in releasing this episode. I try to release an episode every other Monday, but I have been sick. Um, Not sick of doing the show, but physically sick. Uh, I've been downing uh, cough syrup in hopes of getting over this cough that I've had that has been lingering on since all the way since Christmas time. It's come and gone a few times, so hopefully I will be able to knock this cough out and be done with this once and for all. I have an announcement to make about the uh, website or a new feature that I'm putting on the website. I had a listener. Uh, I don't think they want to be named. I, I don't, but now I'm not sure, but I'm not going to name them. Uh, but if, if they want to be named, then I'll name them in the next episode. But I had a listener create some Commodore 64 based ringtones. Uh, and, and as you know, ringtones are very popular and, and, uh, you can put them in, uh, uh, either iOS format for iPhone people or just as MP3s, I suppose for Android users. And I, I love this idea. You know, I think, um, it's more than just, I mean, it's two, there's two different things about Commodore related, uh, not just ringtones, but, uh, alert sounds that we can put on our phones. And the first is, I like being reminded about the Commodore 64. I like being out in public and hearing uh, a Commodore, you know, theme or, you know, a sound or a a little song or sound bite from a Commodore 64 game uh, when my phone goes off. So I enjoy hearing those. And number two, it's kind of like a, uh, almost like a little secret society. Like when we're out in public and your phone goes off and it plays uh, right now, my ringtone is uh, the theme music from the video game Gauntlet. And normally when it goes off, uh, you know, people don't look or anything, but every now and then somebody will say, Whoa, is that gauntlet? And we smile and we're like, yeah, man, (laughs) we're, we're like arcade buddies, you know? Uh, so I like that, uh, idea that, you know, someone would recognize and that you might actually find another Commodore fan out there in the wild. So, uh, based on that, what I have added to the website, which is at SpriteCastle.com, is another page called Ringtones. And so with each episode, and I may go back, uh, in fact, I will go back at some time and make some for uh, the other games that I've released or the other uh, games that I've covered on Sprite Castle. But what I want to do is with each episode also release uh, release is a weird word, but I'm going to post, uh, a ringtone made up of the music from that game and also a couple of, uh, alert sounds. And I'm putting those online both in, uh, MP3 and I think it's M gosh, I'm going to get an M4R. I don't know if that's right, but it's the iOS, uh, format. So I, I make them in MP3 format and then I convert them over to iOS sounds. But so the ringtones will be, uh, you know, 20 to 30 seconds in length so that you can use it as a ringtone and the sound effects will be no longer than five seconds, you know, somewhere between one and five seconds. That would be like for an email notification or uh, something like that. So the first ones that are up there right now are sounds from the game Archon. So if you would like to have the music from Archon as your ringtone or a couple of the game sound effects for alert sounds on your phone, or it could be your computer or anything, go to SpriteCastle.com, look up at the top for ringtones, and you can go download those for free. And like I said, I will be doing those for some of the older games that we've covered, and I'll try to do them for each game uh, as we go along. If you want to make some, from Commodore 64 games, and I, I do want to keep it to uh, the 8-bit 
Commodore line, and there's some great Amiga stuff. There's some great arcade stuff, and and I don't want to step on anyone else's toes, so I, I'll keep my stuff uh, solely with the Commodore 8 bit computer line. But if you want to make some uh, and email them to me, that would be great. If they're ringtones, keep them to like I said, somewhere between 20 and 30 seconds. I think that's uh, pretty much the accepted length for ringtones. If you want to do alert sounds, have them be you know one to five seconds. I'm looking for uh, you know, some sort of recognizable sound from a game, maybe a, a little ditty that plays at the end of a level or, or a sound effect, something like that. The easiest thing to do is send them to me in MP3 format, uh, or wave would be fine, I suppose. Uh, but either one of those, I can easily convert them, uh, over to iOS ringtones and then I'll post, you know, both types. If it's, um, if you send them to me in iOS, it's a little bit more labor intensive, uh, to convert them back to MP3 for me. So, but going MP3 to iOS is a lot easier. So, uh, if you want to send some in, uh, let me know. I will add them to, uh, the webpage and I will uh, give you credit on the page as well. So, uh, but I, I think this is a cool thing. I think, uh, you know, for me, it's just a way to keep the eight bit stuff alive in my daily life. You know, I mean, we all have modern computers and modern smartphones and things like that, but it's a, a nice little throwback to the old days. So, uh, anyway, if, you, if you're interested in that, that is there. Uh, I did get, uh, some feedback from the last episode. The first one was from Dr. Quest. And I forgot to mention on the last episode that, uh, this game was, uh, suggested or the last game, I should say radar rat race was suggested, uh, by Dr. Quest. And, uh, he made a comment on, uh, the, uh, star stream, which is the magic power that comes out of the backside of your mouse. And he said, what kid would say star stream when they could say fart? <laughs> and I agree with that. I don't think anybody called it a magic, uh, star screen. He said he hated the music, but he liked the three stooges, uh, and that he played this a ton. And I forgot to mention that, you know, um, uh, pop goes, I think it's pop goes the weasel, uh, it's one of the earliest uh, Three Stooges shorts. It's the one where uh, Curly is, a, and I didn't even look this up. Curly is a KO Stradivarius. He's the knockout kid. And uh, Curly goes crazy every time they play Pop Goes the Weasel. And uh, so they basically they turn uh, Mo becomes his manager, Mo and Larry. And uh, they turn him into a, a winning boxer because every time they play Pop Goes the Weasel, uh, they, uh, he goes nuts and beats up everybody. Uh, so <laughs> it's funny that I didn't put that together, those two things together. Cause that is a great, uh, three stooges short. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's funny to think about. I got another, uh, message from, uh, Mike D'Angelo. Uh, he said he loved the show. He uh, always enjoys the stroll down memory lane with some of these games. And he said he is excited to find out that we are doing Archon next. It was a true classic, and he could never get enough of the opening intro theme music. Well, now, uh, Mike, you could go to SpriteCastle.com and get that opening theme music as the ringtone for your phone, if I uh, didn't mention that. He mentions that for uh, emulation, he purchased the Amiga Forever, which comes with Commodore 64 Forever. And um, he mentions that those are basically just front ends for WinUAE and uh, Vice, but that it makes it a lot easier to just double-click those. So that's true if... Um, uh, you want a, a front end type thing. Those are ones to look at. There are free front ends out there as well uh, that you don't have to pay for. But the trade-off of course, uh, for anything that's free is that you may have to do a little bit of, uh, setup, you know, on your side. So anyway, thanks always for the feedback guys. Uh, as far as news, I have a few news things and then I have a few new games that were released over the past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, I saw, a link to a website called Retro Commodore. Um, and of course it always goes without saying that I will add the links to all these things in uh, the show notes on SpriteCastle.com. Uh, Retro Commodore is a website that features lots and lots of scans. They have, uh, scans of magazines, books, uh, hardware manuals, software manuals, all kinds of things on there. It's not just related. It is Commodore related, but not Commodore 64 uh, specific. There's 128 stuff on there. There's Amiga stuff on there, but lots and lots of great stuff. Uh, so 
if uh, if you're looking for game scans or manual scans or whatever, uh, go over to Retro Commodore and check them out. Uh, there's a new series of articles called the Sid Adventures on the website I Am Retro. I looked at those over the last couple of days. It's interviews with people about the infamous Sid uh, chip, the sound processor located down inside the depths of the Commodore 64 computer. Those are some great articles over on I Am Retro. Those are definitely worth uh, reading through and checking out. There are two new PC-based software programs released over the past couple of weeks. The first is called MultiPaint, and MultiPaint is a drawing program for your PC that allows you to draw pictures in the style of old 8-bit computers. It supports two different video modes for the Commodore 64. Uh, It also supports a mode for ZX Spectrum and one for the MSX. So if you want to Uh, draw Commodore-style graphics, but do it on your PC, then you want to go download Multipaint. There's also Music Studio 2.2, which I assume uh, this hit the news. This must be a new version. Uh, But it is a SID creation tool, but also for Windows. So if you want to create SID, uh, you know, 8-bit music, but you want to do it on your PC, then you can do it with Music Studio 2.2. I saw a link to a new Kickstarter, relatively new Kickstarter. This is for The Last Ninja Musicology. It is a triple album, three CDs. It's done by the same guys that did, uh, I guess it's the same people that were behind uh, the Back in Time Symphonic Collection. Uh, This is a Kickstarter. This is a live band. Uh, and so they're, they stress that and there's some videos on the Kickstarter of guys with real guys with real guitars and real drums that are performing songs that appear in, uh, the last Ninja series of games, one, two, and three. In fact, uh, here is just a tiny clip of one of the songs that appears in uh, their demo video. So the Kickstarter is to fund this triple album. Uh, if you, if you, I believe the the lowest one is about fifteen dollars US, and that will get you a copy of the actual album. You can also, if you want to kick in a little bit more, you could get a copy of a live concert on Blu-ray, or you can watch the concert uh, through live streaming. So if you're into rock versions of Commodore sixty four. Songs, go check out lastninjamusic.com or you can check out the actual Kickstarter page. Huh, games, games, games. We had several games released over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we had Slime Deluxe. Now, I talked about a game called Slime that was released uh, just a few weeks ago, and Slime is a port of an old Commodore 64, or not a Commodore 64, an old Commodore Pet game that was updated to run on the Commodore 64. Well, Slime Deluxe is the same game, but the graphics uh, have been updated to look more like Commodore 64 quality. Uh, so it's the same, same essentially the same game, but with just updated graphics. So if you like Slime, that's a weird thing to say. If you like Slime, you'll love Slime Deluxe. That should be a marketing thing. Uh, Spaceman Splorf, Planet of Doom is a new game that uh, came out over the past few weeks. I tried Spaceman Splorf. It's very fun. Uh, it's a space shoot 'em up type game. Great graphics. Um, you know, this is all these things that are coming out now are very rarely do we see new releases that are poor quality. You know, back in uh, when we were kids, you would download a game and, uh, oh, you know, I mean, the quality varied so much. I mean, you might download something that would be terrible. You might buy something and find out it's terrible. And all the stuff coming out now is just such great quality. So uh, if you're looking for something to try out, something new, go check out Spaceman Splorf. There's also a new game called Hessian, uh, which I, I also played. It is a 
oh, a platform type game. You're a spy and you run around and, and shoot things and climb up and down ladders and or stairs. And, and it's fun. I haven't got very far in it yet. I just uh, gave it a brief run through, but it looks really good. Uh, we have several games over the past week or two that were released by uh, Hokuto Force who have been busy patching and fixing old games and re-releasing them. They released, uh, there's three here that I found that I haven't mentioned so far on the show. The first one is called Chobin. Uh, it's Chobin 2. It was an Italian game. Uh, I did not play this one, but I watched a video of it, and it is, I guess I would describe it as if Pirates, uh, Pirates the uh, Microprose game, was more of a arcade-style action game. Uh, you are tasked with getting on a boat and going around to different islands and, and obtaining uh, treasures and, and you know, performing quests. But each one is a little arcade sequence. So it's kind of a almost like a mini game type game. So there's Chobin 2. There's one called Bebe Kid. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you say it. These are Italian games uh, that have been fixed and released, but it's B-E-P-P-E. So I guess that's Bebe. That could be Bebe? Bebe? I don't know. Uh what a skill that all podcasters, before you ever start podcasting, you should know that you will be required to read people's names and games names uh, on the fly <laughs> and take a stab at, at pronouncing things. It's not a skill that I have. If I had read the resume <laughs> or the application more closely, I would have known that I was not qualified for this job. Uh, and interestingly enough, the person that hired me was named Beppy. So you would think I would have got that one, but, uh, uh, there's Beppy kid. And then also another game called mystic, uh, I believe it's mystic mansion. Uh, that's a, a third game that, uh, Hokuto force released. The funny thing about mystic mansion is that the game itself doesn't look that good. I mean, it looks okay, but the people have got so good at, I mean, you can take like a regular JPEG or, or, or a GIF file or something and, tr you know, basically convert it into Commodore 64. It will downsample that. But so you end up with these great looking title screens. So the title screen on this game looks way better <laughs> than the actual game does itself. Um, but uh, so I, I also watched a video of this one. I haven't tried Mystic Mansion out yet, but I hope to this weekend. So there's some news. There's some games. Uh, I think we've covered everything, so now let's hop forward to this week's King of the Castle. This week's King of the Castle is Michael D'Angelo, who is the same Michael who submitted a letter this week. Uh, he is also a back-to-back -back winner, and I told Michael I think he was the first back-to-back -back winner, but that's not true. I went back and looked, and he is the second back-to-back uh, -back winner, but Michael is on the ball, so if you want to compete with him, uh, you're going to have to be quick this time. Michael successfully recognized uh, the 8-bit song mentioned in the last episode as You're in Love by Rap. I had a couple of people guess Radar Love before they even listened to the episode, and to be honest, when I started thinking of Radar uh, Rat Race, I thought of that song, and I thought, nope, it's too easy. So I, I ruled that one out, guys. Sorry. Uh, I also thought Rat, Round and Round would be a little too easy. You know, it's a pretty common uh, Rat song. So, uh, But You're in Love is a Rat song that I knew, so I picked it. I have to give honorable mention to John Justice, because when he guessed the song, uh, you know, you have to tell me what's the relationship between the song and the episode, and he said uh, it's Rat uh, from Radar Rat Race, which was true, and that was really all I was going for. But he also mentioned uh, that the title of the song, You're in Love, uh, related to the fact that it was the Valentine's episode. And so I thought that was very nice. I didn't even think of that when I recorded it, and I wish I had. Uh, so i got to give John Justice uh, honorable mention on that. But uh, anyway... So congratulations to Mike D'Angelo. You don't have to clean up after yourself this week because he never left. This is like a house guest I can't get rid of. The guy's been sitting in the throne for all uh, all of two weeks, and he's going to be here for another uh, two weeks. So make yourself at home there, Mike. If you would like to be the next episode's King of the Castle, all you need to do is correctly identify the secret 8-bit song played during the show's closing credits. The song will not be from the game discussed in the episode, but will relate to the episode's theme in some way. 
Once you have identified the secret song, the first person to send me the song title, either through Facebook, Twitter, email, or the show's voice mailbox, and tell me how the title relates to that episode, will be named the next king of the castle. All those contacts are listed in the show's closing credits. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who just crashed into a breakdancer. I can't believe I did that. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. You know, talking snack is sometimes it's very easy segment to write. And sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes I have a hard time coming up with any kind of food that is related to the title or the theme of the games. And sometimes they drop into my lap and that's what happened on this episode. Now I uh, read through the manual of Archon. You know, there's nothing in the game that's related to food. And I looked at the cover of Archon and on the cover, there are two things There's a phoenix and a dragon. Well, those are two mythological creatures. We don't normally get a phoenix sandwich, you know, or a dragon burger. But I I just was playing with this in my mind, like a phoenix and a dragon. What can I do for this episode's Talking Snack? Last weekend, my family and I went to the local China. That is a Chinese diner that is located uh, near our house, so we've nicknamed it the China. We went in the China, and I'm looking through the menu, and right under the specials is a special called The Dragon and the Phoenix. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And um, it is uh, a chicken. It's two things on one plate. You get chicken on one half and shrimp on the other. And I even asked the waiter, I said, do you know which, which one is the dragon and which one is the phoenix? He said, I got no idea, buddy. <laughs> one of them's the dragon, one of them's the phoenix. But, uh, you know, for a game that has a dragon and a phoenix on the cover, I thought, this must be a sign. So I, that is what I ate uh, over the weekend, and then I came home and worked on the show. And uh, th- that could not have worked any better. So if you are looking forward to playing some Archon, you're going to download it, maybe you should... Uh, Order some Chinese takeout, see if they have the Dragon and the Phoenix. It goes pretty good with this game. Speaking of games, let's get started talking about this week's, which is Archon. Archon was developed by Freefall Associates and published by Electronic Arts for the Commodore 64 in 1984. It is a game for one or two players that uses joystick controls. Freefall Associates was a computer game developer of the 1980s and early 1990s. Freefall was founded in 1981 by John Freeman and his wife and game programmer Ann Westfall and the game designer Paul Ritchie III. I am sure I have butchered his name as Paul Reich. It is R-E-I-C-H-E, but it is pronounced Ritchie. To start their new company, Freeman and Westfall left the computer game developer and publisher Epix, the company Freeman had co-founded in 1978. So there are some ties uh, between Freefall, Epix, and then, of course, Electronic Arts. Freefall was the first company to sign a deal with Electronic Arts, and Archon was one of the first five games published by Electronic Arts. I've said this before on the show. Electronic Arts currently in the gaming industry doesn't have the best name. Uh, They're associated with DRM. They're associated with uh, big, huge, you know, AAA titles, things like that. Uh, But if you were an 8-bit computer owner in the 1980s, you loved Electronic Arts. We all loved Electronic Arts. Uh, Electronic Arts, Epics, those types of companies, those were the people that released the best titles. I mean, there was a time where, you know, if it was an EA game, you knew it was going to be great. So it was 
uh, didn't have the same connotation back then uh, that it has today. Archon was originally developed for Atari 8-bit computers in 1983 and then ported over to the Commodore 64 along with several other systems the following year. Archon was designed by Paul Ritchie uh, and John Freeman and was programmed by Ann Westfall. So all three of them were hands-on on this project. Previously on Sprite Castle, we did Mail Order Monsters, which was another uh, electronic arts title. On that episode, I think I mentioned Electronic Arts published 79 total games for the Commodore 64 between 1983 and 1991. Uh, Just scrolling through the list here, some of those games include Bard's Tale, Battle Chest, Demon Stalkers, Dragon's Lair, Jordan vs. Bird. Oh my gosh, there's just so many classics on here. Marvel Madness, Neuromancer, Racing Destruction Set, Realm of Impossibility, which is a game I will cover at some point. I love that game so much. Uh, Skate or Die, uh, the Sky Fox game, Starflight, uh, and Wasteland. So many, many very classic Commodore uh, Commodore 64 titles coming from Electronic Arts. So for pop culture... Uh, when asked what the inspiration for Archon was, John Freeman replied in an interview uh, that there were three principal sources of inspiration. The first was a fantasy chess set he had seen at a science fiction convention that had Conan uh, and barbarians on one side fighting villains and monsters on the other side. The second Inspiration was a live-action chess game that he saw at a Renaissance fair in Northern California. Uh, And then the third inspiration that he mentioned was the holographic chess game in Star Wars. So uh, he combined those three things and came up with the idea for Archon. For the box and manual, uh, this is the first, I believe, flat uh, Electronic Arts album-style packaging I'm sure you've probably seen these. They look more like a vinyl, uh, like the the packaging that vinyl records came in versus larger um, boxes that computer software came in. Uh, this came about because uh, Electronic Arts wanted to treat their uh, developers kind of like what Activision did. They wanted to treat their people like rock stars. And so uh, by putting them in, you know, something that looked like that a rock album would come in and having their faces and quotes and things like that inside the packaging. Uh, that, that was how they did that. As I mentioned, the cover has the, uh, white Phoenix, the black dragon, and behind them, there's a, almost like a MC Escher style, uh, cube, uh, of interlocking pieces behind them. Uh, you get a, a manual that explains the game inside. There's a FAQ. There's all kinds of things in the manual. And then there's also a, a uh, quick reference guide that shows all the different pieces on the board, how far they can move and, and their attacks and things like that. So yeah, you, once you play this game once or twice, you figure out most of those things. But uh, I guess it's nice to just have a little uh, reference guide sitting there. When you fire the game up, we are brought to a title screen. You see the logo Archon, which bounces around with the music playing. It says by Ann Westfall and John Freeman and Paul Ritchie III, copyright 1983, Freefall Associates. Now, we know the game was originally made for Atari computers in 83, but didn't come to the Commodore 64 until 1984. Then we have the Electronic Arts logo and uh, a note that says press the run key to continue. Once we start the game, each figure on each side comes out. And the game shows us their names and their move limits, like how far each piece can move. And I will talk about that shortly. Uh, And once that's done, the board has been set up and it is time for us to play. Now, for the controls, you use a joystick and the joystick is used in two ways. The first is to move our pieces around on the battle board itself, which is essentially set up like a chessboard. Um, slightly different. Uh, there's an extra, I believe there's, yeah, there, there's an extra row. It's a nine by nine instead of eight by eight. So, uh, which there's a reason for that, uh, because there's a kind of a neutral area that, uh, lays itself out in the middle air, I guess in the, the shape of a cross across the middle, uh, of the board each way. Um, 
So the joystick is used to pick up your pieces and move them around on the board. And then when two pieces land on the same square, uh, it turns into a arcade style fighting game and the joystick is used uh, for the pieces to fight. Now, uh, there is a pause button that is mentioned on the main menu, but the pause button only works in one-player mode and only works on the combat screen. And there's an explanation in the manual for this that it says if it's two-player mode, then you should just agree not to uh, you know, keep playing. <laughs> so if there's two people, just both put down your joysticks. You don't need... A, a pause mode. And also if you're at the, uh, the board section where you're moving your pieces around the board, there's no time limit or anything like that. So if you're in that part, you don't need to pause the game. It seems so weird that you would save any amount of programming space by not just having a button that paused the game at any moment. Um, but those were the times, you know, when we had uh, a very small amount of memory to work with that, I guess you could save you know, a certain amount of coding by only having a pause feature available in a one player game and only in part of the game. But I don't know, seems kind of strange. So let's get to the actual gameplay. Now on the board itself, there are five power points. Uh, there are three in the middle of the board. Well, there's one in the very center of the board. This is a nine by nine grid instead of eight by eight. Uh, so there's one in the very center and then there's one in the very center or of each edge as it goes all the way around. So you only start out the game controlling one uh, PowerPoint and your opponent controls one PowerPoint. And there are three available uh, that are up for grabs. Now, there are two ways to win the game. The first is to kill all of your opponent's pieces. So that's, you know, basically like chess, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, you know, you take all their pieces and, and get their king and checkmate. But there's no checkmate in this uh, in this game. Uh, there's no piece that will cause you to lose. So you can either take all their pieces or you can control all five power points. So if you have a piece on all five power points, you win the game and the game is over. Now, in chess, the pieces on each side of the board are the same, except for the, their color. You know, the white side has white pieces. The other side has black pieces. In Archon, of course, they're not called white and black in Archon. It's called light and dark. Um, but the pieces correspond uh, across from each other. So the light side, for example, has uh, knights, which are the equivalent of pawns. Whereas the dark side has goblins. Now these two pieces are pretty much the same I and mean, they, they can move the same amount of spaces, which is three spaces on the actual game board itself. Um, you have the same amount of them. You have seven on each side of the board. And um, when they attack, the knight has a little short sword. The goblin has a little short club. So, you know, they are essentially the same. They look different, but uh, they, they are, um, uh, comparable pieces. Same thing with like, um, you know, the archer and on the other side you have the manacore and, and they're, they're, you know, essentially the same. So all these pieces line up on, on either side of the board. There are a few differences. Um, well, and, and even down to the wizard, I should say the light side has the wizard, which is your most important, uh, piece. That's the one that can cast spells and the dark side has the sorceress, which is the uh, uh, exact same uh, type of uh, character. Now, there are two unique pieces on either side of the board. The light side gets the, um, I believe the Dijin would be considered one of their unique pieces. And the dark side, because you only get one, and the dark side gets the dragon. Uh, so they're pretty comparable, I guess I would say. Um, uh, you know, they're very fast and they, they fire really quickly. So I, I guess I would say they're pretty comparable, but the ones that are really unique on the light side, there's the Phoenix, the Phoenix attacks in a way that no other piece attacks. It basically explodes into a ball of fire and it is, uh, an attack and a defense move at the same time, because when it's in that mode, where it's a ball of fire, um, it can't be hit. So you have to get close to your opponent and then press the button and explode into a ball of fire. It's pretty hard to win with the Phoenix, even though it's considered to be um, a, a, uh, 
uh, you know, a valuable piece or a strong piece. Uh, I should say it's hard to beat anything that shoots. So if you're trying to, you know, if you're the Phoenix up against, like, let's say a goblin who has to come up close to hit you with a club and you just press your button and blow up into a ball of fire, it's almost impossible for a goblin to beat you. But for a piece like, oh, you know, the, the basilisks or something or a dragon that shoots and could shoot all the way across uh, the field, it's pretty hard to win with the Phoenix. The unique piece on the dark side is the shapeshifter. A shapeshifter turns into whatever piece it's fighting. If you want to do something that's a real pain in the butt, get the shapeshifter on top of the Phoenix. And then you just have two pieces that keep exploding into balls of fire over and over and do it at the same time. So it's almost impossible to hit each other. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there are a few unique pieces, but for the most part, they, uh, line up against one another. Now, each piece has a different movement, different number of hit points, uh, a different type of attack, and, and the amount of damage they do. Uh, and so when the pieces come out, uh, for example, when the knights come out, it'll say knights can move three spaces. You know, unicorn can move two spaces or, you know, and it'll say ground-based or air-based. Uh, so an air-based piece moves kind of like a knight in traditional chess, which means it can move over other pieces. So for something like, uh, you know, the unicorn, if it's until you've moved the knights out in front of it, the unicorn can't move. Uh, you have to clear out pieces in front of it. But uh, something like the phoenix uh, is air-based, so the phoenix can just fly over other pieces, and the phoenix can move up to five spaces. Uh, and then the the your two spellcasters, the wizard and the sorceress, they they teleport and they could. So it's the same as flying, basically. Um, and then, like I said, for attacks, every piece either has hand to hand, which would be like a, a sword or a club or something, or can shoot a long distance. The one uh, exception to that, of course, was the phoenix, like I mentioned. And then you have your spell casters, uh, and they can cast different spells. And I have um, a list of those here in just a second. Uh, now, the board has light squares, dark squares, and then the rest of the squares change color. So if you look at a screenshot of this game and you see purple squares or, you know, like light purple or blue or green or something like that, uh, that is the board. The board's constantly shifting from light to dark and then back. So each move it shifts a little bit. The advantage is the dark pieces are stronger on dark squares and the light pieces are stronger on light squares. So, uh, and of course all the, uh, uh, the PowerPoints that are available in the middle of the board are all on shifting things. So it's easier to hold when, you know, if you're the light side, they're easier to hold when they're light, but when it turns dark, that's a good time, uh, for the dark side to attack. Um, so again, I think I covered all the battle stuff. Everybody can walk, fly, run. In the battle screens, there can be barriers. Uh, sometimes if the, the board is shifting, the barriers will be kind of uh, see-through and you can walk through them sometimes. Uh, your characters will heal uh, more quickly if they're on a PowerPoint, and they will heal uh, more quickly if they are on their color. So it does come into uh, the strategy of the game a little bit. As I mentioned... Your spellcasters can cast spells. I think you can only cast each spell only one time. Um, there are seven different spells. Teleport, uh, heal, shift time. So if, if uh, you know, it's dark, let's say it's it's dark and you get down to the halfway point and it's moving to the light, you can cast shift time and that will flip uh, so it goes back to the dark side again. So if you're trying to hold... Uh, the pieces for a little while longer, and that's a good one. Exchange uh, moves two pieces. Uh, you could swap two pieces on the board. Summon elemental is a fun one. You can summon up a uh, you know fire or air elemental and send it over and wreck havoc <laughs> uh, and attack. Now, even if it wins, it's only good for one fight. So even if you win, it goes away. Um, so you don't want to waste it on a uh, you know a fight that doesn't matter. And then there's imprison where you can imprison a piece where it can't move or do anything. Um, the heal is useful. Obviously if, if you are, uh, you know, one of your more powerful pieces has taken a lot of damage. Um, so it adds a, uh, another element to the gameplay that could be pretty fun. Um, I looked on uh, high scores 
the retro computer scene high scores, and there is a there. There's no score in this game per se, but there is a record that says uh, someone won the game in 55 seconds. So I guess um, that's you know involves getting all the powerpoints and maybe teleporting over. And I don't know. It seems like uh, it would be. I guess it depends on if it's one or two player two. So I don't know. I'd have to find out more of the rules about that. Uh, one thing that's listed in the user manual is that uh, it says the computer opponent slowly adapts over time to help players defeat it, which is kind of interesting. So basically, the longer you survive in this game, the better your chances are of winning if you're playing a one-player game. So the computer gets easier the longer that you play. Uh, I, I read a interview with the developers that said that this was planned originally only as a two-player game. And when Electronic Arts saw the uh, beta version of it, they asked them to make a one-player game. So they went back and added uh, the AI, which is pretty incredible if you think about it, that, that they just went, oh, okay, we'll, we'll add that back in. So what did people think about this game? People thought this game was awesome. Commodore Horizons gave it 8 out of 10. Your 64 gave it 5 out of 5. Your Commodore Magazine gave it 5 out of 5. Um, those are Commodore versions, but pretty much every version of this game uh, has received good reviews. In 1984, uh, the readers of Softline called it the best game of 1983. In 1996, Computer Gaming World ranked it as the 20th best game of all time. Um, it was ranked as the 50th top game by IGN in 2003. Uh, I mean, it, it just on and on and on. It's received all these awards. Um, it, it's an, a, a perfect example of a great game that doesn't necessarily need great graphics, great music. There's no cutscenes. There's no any of that crap that... Uh, you know, whenever you get an update now, that's suddenly 10 gigs for a PlayStation game or something like that. There's none of that here. I mean, it is, uh, you know, pretty cut and dry what's going on. The graphics are good enough that you can tell what the pieces are. And, uh, it is a fun, fun, super fun game. Uh, let's talk about ports. As I mentioned, it was uh, originally released for the Atari 8-bit. It was ported not only to the Commodore 64, but uh, all the major 8-bit machines, the Apple II, uh, the PC, uh, you know, the PC DOS or PC Booter, the PC88, ZX Spectrum, the Sharp X1, the Amstrad CPC, the FM7, it got uh, ported to 16-bit machines uh, like the Amiga. It doesn't say uh, Atari 16-bit machines, but I would think that it has to be on there. Um, it made it to the Macintosh. It made it to the, the Nintendo, the NES. Um, but it even went further than that. It was ported to um, Palm OS. It's been ported to the iPhone and the iPad. I mean, it, it, this game just continues to live on today. If you want to play this game today, like I said, you can find it on uh, the iPad or the iPhone. Or this is really cool. Uh, someone has ported the Commodore 64 version of Archon to run in a web browser. Uh, I will add the link to this in the show notes. You can go to this website. You don't have to install anything and do anything. Uh, you can play Archon right there in your web browser, and it supports online play. So if you want to play with a friend, you set up a time, you both go to the website, I guess, and um, you can play online. So th this is a really cool thing. There were uh, a few sequels to this game. The first was called Archon 2 Adept. There are some people that don't like it as much as the original. Most people don't like it as much as the original, although people who get into the game do seem to really like it. It is The board is different. It's not based on a chessboard layout. It's based on the four different elements. Um, so it looks a little different. I don't think it's as easy to jump in and play as the original was, but... Uh, Archon 2 Adept is out there if you want to go check that out. There was a uh, release called Archon 3 that uh, was fake. It was not a official release. It was made by a couple of kids. Um, and a lot of people th or thought at the time it was an official release, but it wasn't. Uh, but you may see references to Archon 3 out there. It is not an official release. Uh, there was a game called Archon Ultra, which my buddy Jeff bought. It was for DOS. 
It was a graphically updated version of Archon. It was super awesome. I really loved it. It did support uh, head-to-head modem play at the time, if you can imagine uh, uh, setting up, you know, call you and your friend, hey, set up Archon Ultra, and then I'll dial into you and we'll play it. But we actually did that. Um, You could also play two machines hooked up through a, uh, uh, like a a null modem cable, I think, or a serial cable. So uh, Archon Ultra is out there. And then there is Archon Classic uh, for Windows, which is uh, another updated version of uh, the original Archon. If you would like to own the original Commodore 64 version of Archon, I looked on eBay and there are a couple of uh, ones out there. One is at $50. There's one that's $68, uh, which is buy it now complete in box. The early electronic arts uh, record album style packaging games are very collectible. I have lots of them. I probably, I say lots. I probably have, uh, oh, 15 or 20 different ones. Uh, they're all the ones I have are not, I pick them up. If I find them out in the wild, I'll pick them up. I don't care what, uh, computer they were for. I know I have like Star Fox and Star Fox two. I think I have the Apple two, uh, versions. Um, but, uh, I, I will, I'll grab those anywhere. I find them. They are uh, highly collectible. So, um, if you want to download this and play this on an emulator or whatever, you're in luck. If you want to get an original copy, especially one with the original packaging or whatever, you're probably going to have to pay. And now let's talk a little bit about my personal memories of Archon. Well, Archon is a game that I picked up really early on. Uh, I know my friend Jeff had this. I'm pretty sure he had the original. Um, It is uh, one of those games that, like I said, you can... Uh, just jump in and start playing two buddies with a joystick, uh, and, and you just go at it. I mean, you don't necessarily need to read the instructions to figure out that, uh, you know, the dragon shoots and the knight swings a sword. Um, the, uh, the intricacies of the game, you know, if you, if you're trying to control the PowerPoints or you're trying to move your pieces into the light or dark pieces, uh, to control the power and stuff, uh, you know, that takes a little bit more, but you didn't have to know all that stuff or even do all of those things to play and enjoy this game. So one of the things I guess in my memory of this game is this is one of the early computer games, uh, you know, 83, 84. I put this in there with, uh, you know, jump man. I put this in there with uh, load runner games at that time that showed that personal computers could play games too. There was a, uh, I, I guess, like kind of a, a general consensus, you might say, that video game consoles were better at playing games. If you wanted to play games, you know, you needed an Atari, you needed an Intellivision. If you wanted to do spreadsheets or if you wanted to, you know, play education tiles or something uh, or games with, you know, ASCII graphics, well, then that's what you would get a computer. I mean, a computer uh, you know, a really bad racing or space simulation with little beeps and boops, uh, things like that. So when these titles started coming out, I mean, Archon was just as good. I mean, it was better than anything that was on the early consoles and, uh, I mean, graphics and sound, you know, uh, and, um, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of what started the, that whole, that era of the great games that started coming out 83, 84, uh, is what really pushed, home computers as a viable gaming platform as well. So that's when I think of Archon, when I think back to those types of games and um, that era and electronic arts games, that would be my personal memory of it is how, uh, you know, not only was it a great game, but it was a game that, uh, uh, you know, really made computer platforms, uh, you know, a place where you would go to play games and not just do spreadsheets or homework. For graphics, I give Archon four out of five shapeshifters. I mean, really there are games with a lot better graphics. Um, so it's the, that four doesn't mean that the graphics are great. It means that they are uh, good enough for you to tell what everything is, what everything is supposed to be. Uh, and they're detailed enough 
it doesn't slow the game down, but uh, they're good enough. For music, three out of five, there's not that much music in the game, but what's there is entertaining and enjoyable. For sound effects, I also give it four out of five. All the sound effects uh, are different. You have footsteps, you have firing, you have different types of attacks. Uh, All of those things are low beeps and high beeps uh, when you can fire again. So the sound effects and everything is there. Overall gameplay of this, uh, I give Archon five out of five shapeshifters. Archon is a definite must-play game. Uh, If not for the Commodore 64, then your 8-bit platform of choice. Uh, But Archon is uh, a wonderful game. There's strategy to it. There's action to it. And it really encompasses everything that those early computer games were about. Thanks again for tuning into Sprite Castle. If you want to play this week's game, head on over to SpriteCastle.com and check out the downloads link at the top of the page where you can download Commodore 64 emulators and all the games that have been reviewed on the show. If you would like to send me a game request or feedback about this or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at RobOHara at RobOHara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash SpriteCastle, or leave me a voicemail on the FLAC podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the SpriteCastle.com RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flack, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows over at robohair.com forward slash podcasts. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. For links to these and more websites, check out the list of links on the right-hand side of SpryCastle.com. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to Defending the Light, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle.